We didn't pick a hymn for this week. We had four songs, including that pre-worship song where we're going to try to introduce new songs before the worship begins. But that doesn't mean God didn't lay something on my heart. I'm going to share a song with you that God laid upon my heart that maybe you know and maybe you don't. You know that, that uh, I love to play games like Trivial Pursuit. I love to play those games because they're games about history and, and random knowledge, and I love random knowledge and history. I just I read history books. I do not fall asleep at night, at night reading history books. And one of the histories that's very fascinating right now is, you know, what was going on in our nation a hundred years ago? We call the coronavirus a novel virus, when in fact there's just not much novel about it. In the year 1907, America saw a collapse in our economy because our banks collapsed. And we went into a very deep recession. That gave way in the years between 1910 and 1920 to one of the worst pandemics the world has ever seen. We called it the Spanish flu. 500 million people contracted the Spanish flu. At that day in history, that was about a third of the population of the world. We now have 3 billion people in the world. So that would mean that in today's world, almost a billion people would have contracted Spanish flu. Or in 2020, the coronavirus. Before all was said and done, first wave swept through. It wasn't terribly bad. They thought they had it under control. By September and October, the second wave of Spanish flu swept through. And that's the one that began to kill people. By the time the fall of 1918 had happened, we had lost over 700,000 people in the United States alone. Almost a million people. We were dealing with a severe recession. We were dealing with a pandemic that was devastating people their health, and their lives. And if that wasn't enough, we had entered into World War I because Germany decided for the first time that it was going to take over the world, or at least their part of the world. And so our soldiers were going, as we sang in our songs of that day, over there, over there, send the word, send the word over there, that the Yanks are coming, the Yanks are coming, and we won't come back till it's over, over there. And many of our young men didn't come back from World War I. 1915. In the middle of a war that's going to last between 1914 and 1918. And we're going to be ravaged towards the end of that war with a pandemic that's going to be spread by the final pushes of that war trying to, uh, in Europe, because Spain was a neutral country. And so troops were passing through Spain, but nobody was fighting necessarily in Spain. And so troops were passing this virus back and forth. In the middle of that was a man by the name of Robert Harkness that went to a revival. He was about Clayton's age. And like Clayton, he played the piano. Which means in today's world, 
he would have been part of what we call the millennial generation. And on his bicycle, he went to a revival. And at that revival, he gave his life to Christ. And he decided he was going to start playing piano for the revival preachers. And the first song that he wrote in 1915. Are we downhearted? No, no, no. Are we downhearted? No, no, no. Troubles may come and troubles may go. We'll trust in Jesus, come weal or woe. We don't talk like that anymore. Are we downhearted? And then he would have everybody whistle. Yeah, I can't whistle. No, no, no. Are we downhearted? No, no, no. Are we downhearted? No, no, no. Troubles may come and troubles may go. We'll trust in Jesus, come weal or woe. Are we downhearted? There we go, almost got a whistle out. No, no, no. There's your hymn for the day, 1915 Robert Harkness. All right, years in the chronicles of a preacher's life. Year number 36, month number eight, episode number one. You know the preaching didn't go well on August the 2nd? When you've eaten lunch with your wife and your mother-in-law, when you're back home and you're making plans for the week and she has not yet told you, good sermon. And you're waiting for her to make a comment on your sermon from that morning, and it still doesn't come. You're on your evening walk about 8 o'clock that night. And your wife looks at you and says, So what were you trying to say in your sermon today? (laughs) And of course, preacher in year number 36, month number 8, episode number 1 of Year in the Life of a Preacher, looks at his wife and says, yeah, I knew that was coming. (laughs) How'd you know that was coming? Because you haven't said anything about worship all day, other than the music was great today, wasn't it, Tim? (laughs) That's about her son. Go figure. So, we talked through it. And I said, well, the sermon today was the last sermon in that series of the wilderness where I was talking about exactly what Jesus was fighting against and the tools that he brought to bear in that fight uh, with the devil in the wilderness. And she said, oh, okay. So what was that? (laughs) So on August the 9th, after August the 7th, I have to admit Yeah, maybe last week didn't go so well from a preaching perspective. And I lost some people somewhere in my explanation of of Satan as Christ's enemy. And, and, And the point of last week was, in case you missed it, 
The point of last week was we are not each other's enemy. Satan is our enemy. The point of last week was that, that uh, we are spending more time fighting each other than the true enemies that, that we should be fighting. And the point of last week was that the basic tools that we bring to that are God's word, our humbleness before God, uh, and, and our reliance upon Christ to, to uh, take the tools and the, the weapons of Satan and disarm them in our lives, okay? So Christ is the answer, Satan is the enemy, and I could have preached last week in one minute and my wife thinks I should have. <laughs> I want to start a, a message this week that's going to be four weeks. And I want to ask you a question as I begin it, and I'm going to try to use images and illustrations and ideas because I would love tonight when I cross my mom had surgery this week and so Joy and I are crossing as we're trying to care for her <clears throat> I would love to in crossing have my wife say oh hey I understood that today all right because I figure if she does you guys will Four things for the next four weeks that I want to talk about, and they all have to do with baptism. At the end of this four weeks, I'm going to invite anybody that hasn't been baptized to be baptized. If you have been baptized, I'm going to invite you to remember your baptism with water. We're not going to re-baptize anybody. That's not what we do in the Methodist Church. But I'm going to invite you, if you want to remember your baptism, maybe you were baptized as a baby and you never got the privilege of doing it yourself. Well, in four weeks, we're going to do that together. Maybe you were baptized as an adult and you just feel the need to be rebaptized. But we're going to do a uh, not rebaptized to remember that baptism, okay? Got to get the right language in the Methodist church. Four weeks. This week, I want to talk about what does baptism do? To the chaos in our lives. You see, there's four things that we're trying to accomplish by baptism. It's a sacrament. It means that we believe Christ is present with us. Communion and baptism, the only two sacraments we have. And we believe that in baptism, Christ is with us. The question becomes, for what purpose? Why would I be baptized? Why would I remember my baptism? What's baptism all about anyway? Well, I hope by the end of this four weeks, you'll, you'll have an idea of what baptism is about, and you'll know, I want to remember why I was baptized. I, I want to bring that to myself again. Or, you know, I really want to be baptized, because I've never been baptized. The fact that baptism brings order into our lives. It conquers chaos. Baptism is that which purifies and cleanses us. Notice all these things have to do with water. It cleanses and it purifies us. Baptism is where God in this world claims us for his own. I think a lot of us have an idea of baptism that it's where we claim Christ as ours. No, that's your salvation experience with Christ. That's the point at which you say to Christ, I claim you as my Lord and Savior. No, baptism is Christ acting on your life, not you acting on Christ. 
Baptism is where Christ claims you for his own. And finally, baptism is that place. Baptism is that place in our faith where Jesus says to the woman at the well, drink from this water and you will never be thirsty again. Baptism is that place where we recognize that the presence of God in our lives gives us life beyond this world. So those are the next four weeks. Today, I want to begin with this understanding and this idea that in baptism, it may be in four weeks that your life just feels out of control. Anybody? Maybe your life just feels a little bit out of control. Maybe your life feels pretty chaotic right now. Maybe you don't know what's going on with your job. Maybe you don't know what's going on with your finances. Maybe you don't know what's going on with your relationships and your family, your marriage, your children. Maybe it's like that chaos that the Bible talks about in Genesis 1. When God says to us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And and the earth was, was without form, and it was void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. Isn't that what it says in Genesis, the first chapter? In the first two verses, and the Spirit of God was then hovering over the face of the waters. What does that mean? What does that mean? When it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth was without form. It was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And it's going to say the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the water. There's the image. It's water. It's why we use water in baptism. Because we understand our lives in terms of things that are real to us. Air, water, earth, food, bread. God's using water here to represent chaos. And he's talking about the deep. That means we're not up by the sea. uh, We're not up by the shore of the sea where we see waves breaking over it. That's chaotic. He's talking about that deep-seated chaos in our lives. That when you're out flying over the ocean, yeah, you see the wave caps going and going. But it's deep. It's almost dark green. It's not that Caribbean blue because you can see the bottom and the sand. It's that deep-seated, unrest, chaotic nature in our lives. That, that scratch, that itch that you've never been able to overcome in your life to scratch it, to, to say, here's what life is all about. Here's what I'm supposed to do. This is what I was supposed to do with my life. This was my career. This was the person that I was supposed to marry. And I know it every day. Mm. And our lives are like this. They're, they're like 
the, the water that's just choppy and chaotic, but it, it goes deep into our lives. And it says in Scripture that the Spirit of God hovers over the face of that life, of that water. And in baptism, one of the things that God does is in verse 3, God says, now let there be light. You see, here's the truth about chaos, at least from the biblical perspective, at least from the world, or from the Word of God, not from the world. Chaos must obey God. Chaos must obey God. We're going to see that when the disciples are on the, in, in the boat, right, right? On the choppy water. And they're throwing their arms up and they're saying, we're going to die. And Jesus gets up and he says, peace, be still. Chaos must obey Christ. As we are baptized, the chaos in our lives has no choice but to come under the order of God. But here's the problem that we have in life. We try to bring the chaos of life into order with the things of the world. And it's the things of the world that are creating the chaos in our lives. And so what, what happens is we're, we're patting down the waves. We get that wave patted down, but there's another wave coming. And we pat that wave down and it's like we're, we're just constantly putting out the fires of the chaos in our lives. Let me give you the, the, the Hebrew image, the biblical image, because maybe that, will, that, maybe that will make sense. What is a void? What is without form to the Hebrews? Well, let me use an image that maybe you will understand. Here's a balloon. Here's a balloon. I am breathing in all kinds of air. If it weren't so, I'd be laying on the floor right now, dying. But the truth is, my lungs expand and I breathe in air. I do not understand all the science behind air, but I don't have to to breathe it. But I don't see it. I don't know that it's there. And yet it is affecting my body and it's affecting your bodies, correct? It's why we're wearing face masks because we are breathing in and breathing out and we don't want to breathe in anything we're not supposed to and we don't want to breathe out on anybody else anything that we're not. So we wear masks in a time of uh, heightened security for viruses because... We are surrounded by this thing called air that we can't see. It is formless. You see where I'm going? You see there's light bulbs that just went off in somebody's head. Oh, I get the balloon. There is air all around me and you can't see it. But if I go like this... The air that was just out here is now in here. And it's been captured and it's been given form. 
It's been given purpose. I can continue to blow this up and tie a string to it. If I had put helium in it, it would float in the air, wouldn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the air. And it was formless and it was void. But the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And that which, as I pour it, has no form. takes the shape of that which would give it form. The Hebrew understanding in the book of Jeremiah is going to be a lump of clay on a potter's wheel that by itself has no purpose, no use, just a lump of clay. But in the hands of the potter becomes something absolutely beautiful. A communion chalice made by one of my dear friends that had him put his hand around it before it was hardened. And I've got his hand as the base of it holding a cup and I put my little pinky finger with his hand there so that my hand and his hand touched in a communion chalice that I now keep and use for ministry. A lump of clay that when it began on that potter's wheel for him was formless, has become that with great meaning and serves a great purpose in my life. Baptism is that place in our lives where we invite God to come in to our life and give us purpose, give us form. No longer being without purpose or without form. Now, there's all kinds of ways to make that happen, and that goes beyond just a sermon on Sunday morning. Those are things that we talk about. Those are things that we develop. What we're talking about is the decision. Because in baptism, when you decide to be baptized, or maybe in four weeks you decide, I need to remember my baptism. I need to remember that the chaos in my life is not going to be conquered because I have this new great idea about what I need to do. But chaos is formed and ordered in our lives when we surrender that which is us to God. He will give form. He will give purpose. He will give meaning to our lives. And that's the first thing that I want us to remember about our baptisms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would move our hearts to remember 
that chaos must obey you. And so if we are feeling that, the unease of chaos in our lives, Lord, move us to to recommit, to remember, to give our lives again over to you rather than trying to uh, use the next great idea. Lord, let us begin by bringing our lives back to you. Remembering that it was you in the beginning that in a world that was filled with formless, void chaos, it was your spirit that hovered over the face of the deep, of the waters, and brought order. Lead us in this path. Amen. Please stand. I'd love to leave you with a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God is good. And all the time. Go in peace. Amen. God bless everybody.